Hey everyone, this is John Puritz. Welcome to the Man Up Already podcast. This show is dedicated to each of us being better in all areas of our lives, mentally, spiritually, physically, and relationally. We want to help you be a better you because when you man up already, the world around you is greatly impacted. Here on the podcast, we don't believe you're an accident. We believe each of us is created for purpose and this show is dedicated to helping you discover and live out that purpose. Again, welcome to the show and let's check out another great episode. All right, everyone. Hey, welcome to the Man Up Already podcast. Super excited to have you here. And uh, man, what a great year we uh, have going here already. The the guests that we have lined up, the guests that we've had, uh, every episode continues to just get better and better here. And I'm super pumped for it. So before we bring up our amazing guest today, I want to remind everybody, hey, go out to manupalready.com. And there you will find not only the Man Up Already book, which I highly recommend because uh, that's just where all this stuff comes from, but um, the 2024 Man Up Already Growth Conference is live uh, for purchase uh, to get tickets for that event. It's February 24th uh, on a Saturday from 9 to 2 in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Tickets are 25 bucks, and they can be found at manupalready.com. And we're limiting it to 50 men. So the event is called A Few Good Men because really, truly, it is only open to a few uh, a few men that we're going to pour into that day. And really, it's going to be great workshops, great speakers. It's a five-hour event that's just going to be killer. Lunch is provided. It's going to be awesome. So get out there. Get your tickets for that because they're going to go fast. And it's going to be amazing. And I like to say, look, it, it, what's your plan for growth for 2024? Um, I think events are a key component to that. We're doing one locally. We've made it cost effective. Um, so if you're a man in the um, Central Florida, South Florida area, get your butt to that. Um, and hey, if you want to fly in for that, come on down it, it, and you should. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. So with that, I want to bring up our guest today. Um, she is the CEO and chief psychologist of Blessing Ranch Ministries. Their mission is to restore, renew, and equip Christian leaders for effective kingdom service. I had a great conversation with um, our guest. Um, I said, let's get on the podcast. I want to talk about some things that I think are really important um, in, in, in regards to what they do. Super pumped to have um, Dr. Charity Byers. Please welcome her to the Man Up Already podcast. So much for being on the Man Up Already podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome. Looking forward to conversation with you today. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was intrigued when we, um, when we connected, um, mm -hmm. and heard about what you all do. So I, I really want to start there because what stuck out for me was, you know, so often we hear about seeking out mentors and seeking out leaders and finding those people, but with the work that you do is actually help mentoring the leaders that are leading everybody else. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the ministry that I'm connected with is called Blessing Ranch, and it was founded by my mom and dad, John and Deanna Walker, back in the early 90s. And so, you know, it's been almost uh, 30 years now that we've been investing in Christian leaders. And, you know, the, the point is, as you're kind of getting at here, that leaders spend so much time investing, pouring out, giving and sacrificing. And somebody's got to hold their arms up once in a while, too. 
Mm. And so, you know, we get the privilege of, of stepping in with uh, really high capacity, often highly motivated, highly intelligent, very gifted people and just helping equip them, encourage them and help lead them forward so that they can show up in everything that they're being called to do. And it started in Colorado. Do I have that right? Yeah, Blessing Ranch got its name from an actual ranch property that uh, we started on. It was north of the Fort Collins area. So beautiful part of Colorado. And, um, you know, we had our ministry out there for about 20 years. And uh, it was a beautiful place. Definitely would say a God-ordained property that just was full of God stories. Um, but we did relocate the ministry to the Tampa area of Florida back in 2014. So, goodness, nearly... Well, coming up on a decade ago, mm. uh, which is hard to believe, um, but we still do the very same thing we do. We just do it in a little bit different setting now down here in Florida where we've traded the mountains for the beach. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so you can't really go wrong. It's no, just, you really can't. Yeah. You find those people who said, man, I wish I would have come to see you when you were in Colorado, would have loved the mountains and others are saying, you know, the beach is my happy place, and I'm so thankful I get to go spend my afternoon sitting by the water and just having quiet time, you know, there. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because I, um, you know, obviously we live in Florida and have been here for a while. But when I need to to recharge or when I need to get my, you know, get in check spiritually and shut everything off, um, I go to a men's boot camp in Colorado. So okay. I need the yeah. the mountains are that reset for me because, um, but on an everyday basis, the beauty of living in Florida, especially where we live now, um, the beaches or the water is 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes away. Yeah. So it's a cool little checkout. You know, there's, there's yeah. that, that healing aspect of it um, yeah, for sure. Right. Um, so how, how old were you when your parents started the ministry? I mean, you grew up in this essentially. Yeah, essentially, I was, um, you know, the the call came upon my my dad's life to do this when I was probably somewhere around ten years old. Mm. It um, kept, took us a couple of years to disengage from our life. We were in Houston, Texas at the time. My dad was running a successful private practice as a psychologist. My mom uh, was an attorney working for a corporation down there, and so they both had their lives. My sister and I had our lives going, and so. Anyway, it took us a couple of years to disengage from all of that and um, move to the ranch property in Colorado. So I was just about to turn 13 going into eighth grade when the move came. So tough time for a relocation, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I have no doubt. But, you know, at the time, of course, couldn't appreciate uh, fully all of the, you know, faith lessons that were going to become such a part of my story that were happening at the time. But as an adult now can can look back on those moments is just so formative in who I have become because of how I got to watch God at work. And what was the, so what was the, because it was your dad or your dad and your mom or your dad that got the call? My dad was the psychologist. Uh, my mom had her own career as an attorney for many years, supported the ministry, um, you know, as much she could in that context. And then when she retired early from her uh, career as an attorney, she did come out full time with the ministry. So it was kind of a both and. It was my dad, but it, you know, it wouldn't be anything without my mom. Oh, no, of course. Of course. So, where was the, or what was the, the calling, right? Like, what yes. was the, hey, you, this is an issue that you need to do. Like, what, what's the story there? Yeah. You know, my dad would say it was the one time in his life when he really feels like he just heard God speak. 
Mm. You know, loud and clear moment where there's just no denying that that is God's voice. Now, we hear God in all kinds of different ways, of course, in our daily life. But this was just one of those crystal clear, God is speaking, he needs my attention kind of moments. So I'll make the story relatively short. But the context was um, at the time of life, my grandfather, which was my dad's father, and was very ill with terminal illness and couldn't leave home to go to church anymore. So the extended family gathered at his apartment on Sunday mornings to worship together. My dad was um, a pastor uh, in the early years before he went back to school to become a psychologist. And so he would preach for the family at these you know, family church gatherings. Well, this one Sunday morning, he was kind of going over his uh, preparation to speak that morning to the family. And that's when God just showed up. And I wish he were here to tell the story to you directly. Um, but in essence, it was just a clear message that was, John, I don't need you to buy a family ranch. I need you to start a Christian leader resource and renewal center for Christian leaders. That and clear. That clear. I mean, that clear. It was wow. a very clear directive. And of course, you know, the beauty of that is that there was no denying it. And so, you know, when times were hard, which they were in the, you know, founding anything is tough. Yep. Building, you know, a, a, a ranch property from the ground up is tough. When all of that got really hard, what he always had to hold on to was the fact that God asked me to do this and there is no way I can convince myself otherwise. So there was real beauty in that clarity that kept him going when, when times got hard. Mm. And the work you do, uh, that, you know, when we met, that was the the compelling thing. So let's talk about um, why it's so important what you all do. Hmm. Um, you know, because how many, how many leaders are out there that are, um, pouring into others, but then, you know, and, and obviously we'll pick up a conversation on bandwidth, but nobody talks about the lead who's helping the leader. Right. Yeah. I think, um, Certainly for, for many people out there, maybe who are members of a church or are part of an organization, uh, we just don't stop and think about the impacts of what leaders carry. And, you know, I get the privilege of spending intimate time and hearing their stories. And, you know, the, the weight that's carried by leaders is so incredibly great uh, because they care so deeply about what they're doing and who they're serving and what they're leading and and usually have such a high degree of responsibility that just the weight of what they carry is often huge. And, you know, people don't often realize that because they don't show it maybe to their spouse or their intimate, you know, uh, close group, but just the average person out there doesn't get to see it um, because they show up and they serve and, and that's the face that they put on. And so I think it's just the forgotten sometimes um, people don't notice. They don't see what's behind the scenes in a leader's life. But, you know, uh, you know, beyond that, why what we do is so important is just the fact that we believe so deeply um, in God's church and the leaders, whether it's in a formal church setting or a kingdom leader out there, we just believe so deeply, you know, in the place that that, you know, plays in the big picture of, of what God's up to in this world that we want to see that thrive. And so we need the leaders who are leading that to thrive. And they're usually going to be the last to ask for help. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just busy taking care of others. Sometimes second, because, you know, they think because they're a leader, they, they should probably have this figured out by now and not be struggling the ways that they are. And three, because nobody notices sometimes. And uh, so we just want to make sure there's, there's resources, help, and investment into their hearts, into their lives, into their marriages, into their, you know, leadership in ways that, that keep them vital and thriving for the long haul.
You know, I, um, I mean, obviously I have a, I have a deep personal connection to this topic because being, I, I've been in or was in a leadership role, um, for almost 25 years mm-hmm. of between, you know, running an entire high school music program to, um, then getting into a business where I was mentoring, coaching and leading, you know, a flock essentially. Mm-hmm. And if you're taking somebody from, um, being an employee and moving them into entrepreneurship there, that's a journey and you get into their lives and you're, you're dealing with all kinds of stuff, but pounded into our brain was leaders never show hurt, never show doubt, right? Don't, nobody can ever know what you're, if you're having a bad day, you can't show it. Nobody can know it. And if the outlets aren't there, like mm-hmm. you're talking about, um, implosion does happen and it can be really, really bad. And my personal experience is it almost cost me everything because I, I did, I, and, and I imploded. And then in the last, you know, almost five years now of unwinding all these things that have, you know, we're just sitting there never dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing the depth uh, and how much deep respect I have for the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just so, it's so, and we take it so for granted, right? Whether it's a pastor um, or like you said, a, lead, a leader in any capacity, yeah. we, take, we tend to take them for granted because yeah. our need, we, we want our needs met, never ever thinking about the needs that the leader has. That's right. And I think we just also make a lot of assumptions about about them almost being invincible. I know you know, we talked a little bit about my dad founding this ministry and I kind of grew up with that perception of him. You know, he's just kind of invincible. You know, nothing probably gets to him. He 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 doesn't ever seem to have a bad day. And of course as an adult I've come to realize that's not so true. Right. Now that we've had, you know, more of an adult friendship. Um, but certainly I think just not only from that perspective of child to parent, but just you know, person to leader, we can often have that perception of sort of invincibility. Uh, so I want to, I'm going to organize, I have a million thoughts running through my head, but I think, I think the thing, you know, because I know our listeners, right? So everybody is leading in some capacity. I mean, we have male and female listeners and, and so we have fathers and we have husbands and we have moms and wives and people in corporate America working jobs and and it's all leading in some capacity. I mean, I know for a fact, um, and I'll be transparent and I'm sure she'll be very grateful that I said that, but how often did I take my wife for granted, right? That, you know, what is she, well, she's got this or she, I've got to do this and this is what I need instead of what is she dealing with and and processing. And, um, you know, I've learned to be more sensitive and empathetic to that and to see that. And I think, you know, she, she, for me as well, but it shouldn't take implosion for, for those things to happen. So, um, I like to talk about, you know, just what are ways that people listening can say, all right, I I need to get present to one, what are my expectations of the people that are in my life that are in that role or from a partnership standpoint, I think, you know, where I'm going, like, what are, what are things that we can do? to recognize it and, and help and, and just be more sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think very practically and one of the best things that you kind of talked about in your own story is just to start to ask questions and to, you know, set aside our assumptions of what we think we know to be true. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, you talked about take my wife for granted. Well, she can handle it or, you know, this is just what we need to do. 
So we need to set aside our assumptions and we need to start to ask questions. And so if we just come with that attitude, um, we've now invited a little bit more transparency, a little bit more authenticity, hopefully, into that relationship. I think that's a great start to, you know, be able to open the doors to much more. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny because I was just talking to, to somebody about it. The difference between um, expectations and observations. Mm. Um, I had actually heard it, heard it. It was a, it was a marriage therapist's article and, and mm. that one of the contributors to marriages failing was that people spend more time in expectation than in observation. And I thought that oh. was a really powerful distinction. Yeah. Yeah. We could have an hour long conversation about expectations. I imagine. <laughs> Well, let's have a five-minute conversation. <laughs> I'd love to know your thoughts because we do it with with you know your your mentoring pastors, you know leaders. But how much do we expect from our leaders? And not right, we're so into expectation, we're not observing. Mm -hmm. Like I, my wife and I were a part of a church that was a startup, and um, it, it was a wonderful thing to be a part of. And I, and right around the corner was the mega church mm. and the mega church lost um, sight of the relationship aspect because they got so big. And, and I'm for a firm believer that don't sacrifice relationships for growth. And I watched a big church do that. And so mm. in the small church, I was like, gosh, I hope they don't fall into that trap. And yeah. they did. They started chasing growth and yeah. the, the pastor lost his he had no bandwidth and yeah. he fell apart and his collapse took the whole the whole church yeah wow. with it and and we watched that happen yeah and um you know and so everybody has an expectation of what what should happen and what he should do instead of observing what is really going on here and how do we step in to keep that from happening and nobody had that and it, and it and it fell apart mhm mm well, some of my thoughts around expectations, um, I mean, the first is just that they exist on all levels, right? When we just look at, take a church as an example, there's expectations that, you know, uh, you know, those who attend the church have of its leadership. There's expectations that everybody has for the outcomes of the church itself. And then there's expectations that perhaps the leaders have of themselves within it. And I think all of those can end up being detrimental if we don't manage them well. And I think the second, you know, piece that's so important in this conversation around expectations is, is to begin to examine where it is they come from, mm. because we just, you know, we all come into things with our life history that has shaped our expectations. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about church growth, that's often an expectation that people come in with, right? If we're starting a church, it should grow. Well, I'm not saying one way or another, we should or shouldn't abide by that, but it's just an expectation that exists. Or a, a leader, you know, for example, they might have the expectation that I'm supposed to be, be able to handle anything that comes and not fall apart. You know, whatever it is we tell ourselves, we've got these expectations that can be good things gone wrong really quickly. And again, the question is, where do these things come from? Because often we operate without examining them. Like, you know, when you talk about expectations versus observations, you know, we're, we're not we're not stepping back from our expectations often enough to say, you know, first, where does this come from? And is it something that aligns with God's expectations to make it healthy? 
Mm. So, you know, if you want to, we can talk about where they come from. But I just think that's such an important question because it leads us to that place of open handedness with them. That's allowing us to now examine whether they're. Well, I, I, I would love to talk about where they come from, because we're all like you said, we're a product of upbringing, of programming, you know, of things right. that we believe are true that might not necessarily, you know, be true or this is what a marriage is supposed to look like, or this is what a church is supposed to look like. And, and all of that comes from somewhere. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, we all just operate with our normal, right? We, we have a normal that we're used to when we go on autopilot with it. But how has it been created? Like you're talking about here, um, you know, what we, we call these things around here at Blessing Ranch are heart shapers. They're the parts of our stories that have had impact and input on the core of us, our hearts. Now, this is where expectations come from. And we can unpack mm -hmm. that whole thing another time. But, you know, the, the root of expectations lives down here in our hearts. It's not just, you know, something we picked up, you know, in a book we read. It's something that flows out of something that's deeply rooted within us. And so um, our heart shapers can be all kinds of things that we've encountered throughout life. Some of them can be, you know, a very obvious one would be our family of origin. You know, the things that we've learned from our, our closest caregivers, our greatest influences, what have they taught us about who we should be, what a leader looks like, uh, you know, what health looks like in life. Um, other things can be kind of our defining moments of life. You know, a moment, it could be either good or bad, negative or positive, but those sort of just defining moments. It could be mountaintops or valleys that just teach you something in an instant. Um, it can be just also our everyday experiences, kind of the cumulative effect of living something day after day after day, like what, like, you know, just feeling like you're the different one. You look around and you see everybody else seems the same and then there's me. It's just something you live day after day after day. But through all of that, it's defining some very important things according to your heart shapers and what themes were within them. It teaches your heart something very critical. And I think the point of all that is it's from that place with which we begin to form expectations. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Very much so. You know, it's uh, I'm I'm brought to mind. It's 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 a comical story, um, at least from our experience. But it 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 kind of proves I call it level of awareness, right? Like, um, so New Year's just happened not that long ago. And and so we're in our house and we're in a, a, a relatively new community, and all of a sudden, right, bombs go off. I mean, like bombs. And I I can tell from how close the bomb is that my neighbor is lighting off fireworks, right? <laughs> But it wasn't, you know, like a Roman candle or a sparkler or a firecracker. Whatever he lit off was loud, shook the house, et cetera, right? Wow. So the next day, there's all the debris of his fireworks in our yard. And so, oh, my, <laughs> you know, so we're cleaning it up or whatever. But my my wife ran into, ran into the neighbor and... And he said, you know, some people like were knocking on his door or whatever. And he was shocked that there was a problem. And his response was, it's New Year's Eve. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> right. Right. And and so <laughs> it was just funny because it was like, you have no awareness of like, no, that's not appropriate. Like, like you're, you're, you're disrupting the neighborhood. Not everybody's going to be on board with that. 
yeah. you could have at least come and said, Hey, right. I've got some things I'm going to light, you know, but it was just, well, it's new year's Eve. What am I supposed to do? like? Yeah, that's you know what that. I mean? That was that level of expectation of everybody around him. Right. Right. So somewhere he's had a heart shaper in his story that taught him that's okay. Right. right, right. Taught him not to consider the impacts on other people when you do things. <laughs> that's gotta be a really like unwinding that for people, right? <laughs> because some of those things are really deep rooted, right? Like they could be a complete paradigm reality shift for a lot of people on, what do you mean that's not normal, you know? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the first step of that is, is self-awareness, of course, to bring attention to what it is that exists within you. And I think, you know, that idea of living by our normal just means we, we often don't even realize we're operating with expectations. It's just the way we do life, right? It, it doesn't register as this is something unique to me or this is something I've defined as a way of life. It's just life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first part is just being able to call attention to what, what is within us. But you're right to say there's a lot to unwind because for a lot of people, these are tied oftentimes to things that um, not only have a lot of history as in happened a long time ago and I've lived this way for a long time, which does you know create deep ruts within us, but sometimes they're really tied to things that were connected to pain. Uh, even trauma at times for people. And so what that means oftentimes is these expectations, uh, they can they feel adaptive, they feel helpful, they feel safe to people. And that's a whole nother level of trying to unwind it inside of people. If you've got that layer on top of this somehow has been determined as safe, helpful, protective um, in life, you know, realigning somebody with a new way is a complicated matter that of course, requires God's healing touch and, you know, a, a process of healing within that. Yeah. Big time. I, I know that very well. Um, it has led me to believe, and I love your take on this, that true healing from those things only really comes one right through God, but two, there's gotta be a desire for them to change. Otherwise we're going to hold on to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had un the unfortunate experience of watching people die in those expectations yeah. Um, yeah, because there was just an unwillingness to change. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that is often true. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it makes me think about, you know, the story uh, when Jesus looks at the, the man and says, do you want to get well? Mm. You know, asks that very strategic question, do you want to get well? And it seems like a s silly question. Why do you need to bother to ask that? Of course he does. But the point is, you got to want to. Because right? you really, really want, right. That, yeah. You know, I never, ever looked at that in that context. But thank you for, for <laughs> revealing. I mean, it really is true. Like, why would he ask that? Because he really wants to know. Yeah. Do yeah. you really want to get well? Because... Yeah. We could be, and to your point, we could be in dysfunction and we can be in pain and we can be in all these things, but they become comfortable. It's what we know. Yeah. Even you dysfunctional know? things, right, can be really comfortable. And, um, you know, healing requires surrender. It requires us to lay something down. Mm. And, you know, that's not an easy process, again, especially when, let's say just due to past trauma or something like that, it feels like the safest thing 
hold on to that and have that, even though someone else in your life would say that's dysfunctional, that's not serving you well, that's not healthy. But to you, uh, because of those heart shapers in your story, it feels like I can't let go of this or I'm too afraid of what could be on the other side of the unknown. Um, so it really takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of surrender to actually engage in a healing process with that. The I'm so glad you said that. Um, Dr. Dave White is my coach. He's been my coach for, gosh, I think it's it might be four years. But Dave said something to me when he came into my life that radically shifted me was, he said, you're so used to manic, you mm -hmm. think it's normal. Yeah. And the man I am today and this is why I want to segue into bandwidth. I have so much more bandwidth mm -hmm. on what I can deal with and take on mm -hmm. because I was able to unwind all the things that made me manic, mm -hmm. but I had to want to, you know, to want to, to really deal with it. And once I really saw what that looked like, yeah. um, it, it just, it, it astounded me. And I, and I think, now, even today, when I look upon that, like I literally go now, who lives like that? But the answer was I did, right? Like, like it's just yeah. absurd when you're healed from it or when you see it, but while you're in it, yeah, you just think it's normal. And for me, it was normal for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've lived a little bit of that myself. I don't know that anyone's ever called me manic, thank goodness. But, you know, I kind of grew up with, you know, the expectation that, you know, just doing whatever has got to be done is what you're supposed to do. And I, I think some of that comes as we talk about heart shapers, me watching my mom and dad start Blessing Ranch. And that took a lot of sacrifice, you know, for the my dad tells stories like, you know, the first three years of uh, building the ministry, he didn't have a day off, not for three years, because not only was it the work as a psychologist, but then on the weekends, he was doing construction. And building and uh, fundraising and all the other things that comes with that. And, you know, that's just a snippet of, of what it took uh, to, to live out the calling that was on their life. All that to say, you know, my expectation developed into this idea that you're just supposed to do whatever it takes, no matter what it costs you. And uh, so I think that's probably something a lot of people, a lot of leaders can relate to when they, they care deeply about something or they feel called to something you kind of live with this idea of whatever it takes. And uh, that's just one reason why maybe some of us live a little bit closer to manic than we ought to. Well, back up, because if we if we put that out of the context of leadership, and I, like I share with you, everybody's in some leadership or role at some point, how many husbands, wives, mothers, fathers are doing, well, whatever it takes. And women certainly in parenting, right, have that, I'll do whatever it takes at the point of they lose themselves in that role. Right. Right. And 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 that's what I mean by bandwidth. Right. Like next thing you know, you're just the relationships sur surrounding that get destroyed because while right. you're doing whatever it takes, you right. haven't replenished yourself and and the other things of your marriage or relationships. And so it's important, I think, to be clear here that God does call us to sacrifice. Right. And so, you know, we're not trying to paint a picture here of self first. Uh, there, there's absolutely room for sacrifice in that paradigm. But I think what I just hear you saying is, but we can't dishonor the other parts of what God has called us to, right? To be a husband or a father or, you know, mother or friend, you know, or to, to honor the souls within us. Those are all parts, I would say, of the calling that God has put on our life, not just to be a business leader, ministry leader, church leader. 
Yeah, and and I have, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this. The oxygen mask in the airplane comes down, and they tell you to put it on you first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that you can be, you know, you have the capacity to take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that that's the thing that's often. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, "What do you mean? I'm I don't, I'm going to put it on my, you know." Yes somebody right. else. And, and and that was, you know, no, no, if you're dead, you can't help anybody, you know? And so I think the work that you do is helping people learn how to heal inside so that they have more capacity to help others. That's right. And I think the other you know layer of that too, is just to look at, you know, if we're living in a perpetually unhealthy state, the impact and influence we end up having on others is also unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not always just sometimes we just burn out. We got no energy to help anybody. But sometimes we're just showing up so unhealthy that we're unhealthily influencing everything around us. Like you hear stories of like a leadership team where, you know, the 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 top level leader is burned out or irritable all the time or just has lost passion. And everybody else is sort of suffering alongside because they're, that influence just bleeds into the whole environment that you're now leading. So it's pretty detrimental when we don't put on our oxygen mask first. So what are, let's dive in a little bit to what I call bandwidth, which is the capacity to um, handle the things that we need to handle in life and do them with grace and with empathy and with care and compassion. I think out of my journey, um, I have stepped into this insatiable need and desire to make sure I am um, showing up with grace, with empathy, with care, compassion. It's no longer, you know, I'm not manic anymore, right? So I'm not in crisis. So I have I have more bandwidth to deal with um, yes. the needs of others, et cetera. So I'd love to to kind of dive into that a little bit on ways that you see from your experience, your incredible experience, that people can can start to apply in their own lives to to get more capacity. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the big principles is to be able to recognize and honor the fact that we all have limits. And some of that ties back to our conversation around expectations. Uh, But I I just come up against a lot of people who just don't want to own the fact that they have limits. And, you know, if that's kind of the expectation we live by is, you know, either I should be able to do whatever it takes and it doesn't matter what it costs me. Or, you know, I should be able to be the energizer bunny who never runs out, whatever mm. that is. Um, you know, we, we don't give ourselves the grace of accepting limits oftentimes. And so we then conclude we're a failure, we're a weak leader, you know, something like that. Instead of just saying, actually, it's a beautiful gift from God to have limits. And here's why. Because when we embrace our limits, we become more dependent upon God, don't we? Mm-hmm. It's there in which we realize I'm not supposed to be the savior of the world. I'm not supposed to have all the answers. I don't have to be in control. Actually, I get to operate in partnership with you, God. And so it's a beautiful gift to have limits. We just often don't see it that way. So I think that's the first piece for for people practically, just to make sure that that you are in a place that you actually appreciate the fact that you have limits and see it as a gift that allows you to operate in dependency with God. That's so good. That's so good. I, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking um, in my own experience of, you know, just in myself and then watching others, you know, what came to mind is we're, we're coming off the holidays and how often, you know, w- 
I'm going to do it all, right? I'm going to cook the perfect meal. Clark Griswold, right, comes to mind. You know what I mean? But, but, but how often is the holiday event missed? Yeah. Because we're so preoccupied with doing it all and getting it all done that we show up exhausted or we've just missed a moment where yeah. maybe if we realize, you know what, let's simplify yeah. so that we can enjoy the moment more rather than going to capacity and being gassed and unpresent during the whole event. Absolutely. And and part of this, I think, is too just about asking ourselves the question as we examine our capacity or our bandwidth, after we've recognized that we have limits, it's about understanding what it is that God has asked us to do and what we've asked ourselves to do. Ooh. To our, uh, you know, example here of the holidays, right? Who asked you to cook the five-course meal? Who asked you to you know, have whatever professional looking gift wrap on all of your packages, whatever the example is, who asked you to do that? Well, it wasn't God. He asked you to show up and love others today. Oh, that's so awesome. And so, you know, I think we need to really take a hard look at, you know, who's writing those expectations in our life so that when we realign those with God, right, I think it gets much, much closer to your picture of simplicity. And it, it is, I believe, of course, God's picture of expectations leaves us in that place of bandwidth. And so if we can get very honest with ourselves and say, I mean, all these things I've written for myself or culture has written for myself or my family of origin wrote for me, or these are just expectations people have of me that I don't need to abide by. And we're able to set those aside. What What's left there, I think, is a very manageable, doable, healthy set of expectations that come with from God. And they're pretty simple. Love others. Love me with all your heart. Um, you know, I'll just leave it there and just say they're, they're, they're pretty simple. They are. They are. And it which is very present to in our humanity, how often we make complicated something so Mm -hmm. simple like we we spend so much time um in our flesh right in our right what do we look like what do we sound like what's the presentation how are we showing up perceived and a lot of it has to do with perception of others and instead of what you're talking about like what is god asking me to do which is really simple how do i fill this place with love and what's the, how do i do it in a way that allows me to do it how do i do it in a way that allows me to do that yeah yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Anything else on that topic that you think people should um, kind of pay attention to? Well, I mean, I, I do just think it's very important to recognize that most of us are living beyond our bandwidth in, a, in our day-to-day -day life. At least we're pushing the bounds. I think that's true for most people. And, you know, the best of us just isn't going to show up when we're either pushed to that limit of our bandwidth or we're living beyond it, which I think many, many people are. And so, you know, we're not going to show up as our best selves in that place. And I think, again, if we, if we come back to the simple ideas of what God asks of us and we just zero in on this one principle, love, you know, the Lord your God with all your heart and love others. Um, as you loved yourself, you know, in order to do that, in order to love, like that takes a lot of bandwidth, doesn't it? Mm. In order to show up, um, to put others first, to think about their needs or, you know, their desires beyond our own, to be present truly, it takes a lot of bandwidth to do those things. And so, you know, I think it's just worthy to really examine why we're doing what we're doing, 
and to connect this back to our earlier conversation, so much of why we're doing what we're doing is motivated by some unhealthy heart shaper in your life and not God himself. And so if we can own that, recognize it and heal from that. We've created freedom within to just redefine what's expected of us and, and hopefully rein that into a place where, um, you know, that, that is, that is defined by God. And in that place it's, it's manageable and it's reasonable. And that is where we will see things like fruit of the spirit come out of us. Yeah. It's, it, it's so good. Um, it just, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of how, and I'm guilty of it. You know, the great, the great thing is I've matured enough where I can recognize what I'm, when I'm doing it. Um, because the, the, the warning sign, like I, I'm able to recognize the warning signs when I'm doing it. And I literally wrote like, I am my own source of stress. Mm. Right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like when I, my wife will be like, why are you doing that? And, and it is a great question, right? Because right. then you go, okay, hold on. Why am I doing that? And right. the answer is, oh, because I expect this or this or this. And then we'll like, to you said, well, where is that coming from and why? Right. Um, I'll give you a, I'll give a great example of that. Um, the other day on, on Tuesday, I, um, I had somebody book an appointment for my financial business and they booked it in the evening and they booked it in my office mm -hmm. and, um, prior, you know, prior to us having our own firm, I was in a, a corporate culture where evening appointments were expected, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It was the norm. Yeah. And it wasn't until getting out where people would ask, do you do evening appointments? Like it was some special thing. And I'd be like, yeah, of course. Like, and right. then over time I realized how much of that was robbing my bandwidth because I'm working all day and then I'm working in the evening and I wasn't able to recover at, 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 right at night, wind down, et cetera, et cetera. And I've learned how important evening routine is. And so, because I didn't make it clear on my scheduling uh, app, yeah, right. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm working till eight o'clock at night. I didn't eat well. I didn't sleep well. Irritable the next day. It's like a cascade of events that happened. Instead of just going, I'm not doing evening appointments unless there's a special circumstance and I can control right. that source. But yeah. when it was, well, why are you doing that? And the answer is, well, because we've always done it that way. That doesn't necessarily mean absolutely. it's right and healthy. You know, That's absolutely right. Yeah. And I, I love to just reflect on the way that Jesus lived his life to answer that question around, well, you know, what should our rhythm look like? What's healthy and what's not? Should we be working around the clock or is it okay to take breaks or a vacation? And if you really do examine the way he lived his life, you see, you know, very intentional rhythm of, of obviously investing deeply and loving others well and showing up. But you also see the getting alone and getting quiet and refilling moments that, you know, I always just have this picture in my head of like the crowd waiting for him. And yet he's up on the mountain in prayer. Right. And it's such a picture to me of priority. Uh, and so I always just come back to that every time I start to question myself, like, could you do more? Should you do more? Oh, wait, does this look like the way that he modeled it for us or right. not? Right. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I'm just very present in our ego, sinful nature, how we, um, and, and when I use the word sin, I just, to, to be physical and to be human is it, just, we're, we're screwing up left yeah. and right. Right. Like when, when we, when we go, okay, well, even God took time to rest and, and, 
you know, and, and get quiet and do all those things, the most perfect human being ever, right? Which God manifested and, and, and he did it. And yet we, we, we don't need that. You know, we'll just disregard that. And, you know, we'll, we'll just take control and, and do it our way anyway. That's right. <laughs> it is quite absurd when you look at it from the outside, right? But yeah, absolutely. We, we don't see that while we're doing it. Well, this has been, I, I could go another hour with you. I, it, it's just, I think the things that, that we're talking about, but more importantly, the work that you do is just crucial. And I'm so grateful that we were able to connect and, and have you here and just to, to talk a little bit of it. I always like to um, to ask our guests um, how people can find you, connect with you, take advantage of, of what you're doing, et cetera. Yeah, our website is blessingranch.org. So you can connect with um, everything we have to offer there through our website with intensive counseling and coaching and uh, team experiences and resources. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram if you want to find us there. Is that right? That's right. Perfect. Well, um, it has been a pleasure. I encourage people to look up all the resources that you all have connect with you. We, we met on, um, well, we met through uh, a mutual connection, but um, we are connected on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's a great place to, to just connect with people and see what they're up yeah. to and, and, and how they're touching, touching lives. So it's, um, it's been an honor. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation and appreciate the time with you today. Thank you. For listening to another episode of the Man Up Already podcast. We really do appreciate it. And I want to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform you're listening or viewing on, subscribe to the podcast, right? Help us, right? Continue to grow by joining the community and also rate the podcast, rate the episode, right? Whatever platform you're on, you could leave a rating. Let us know your comments. Let us know your thoughts. If you can do that, we really do want your feedback. You could head on over to manupalready.com and check out our website. All the podcast episodes are on there as well, but also join our community, sign up on our emailing list. We're going to get content out to you. There's also a free resource there for you when you do that. Um, and pass it on. Pass on the podcast. Let people know right, what we're up to, what we're about. Speak about it. If, you, if you're a podcast enthusiast, please share episodes. Tell people about what it is that we do uh, what we do here and what you like about it and, and what you don't like about it. And that's, that's okay as well, right? It's just getting the word out. And then finally, I want to thank, um, a, a great sponsor of our podcast, Master Beef Jerky. Their, their, uh, slogan is bold flavor, tender bite. If you head on over to masterbeefjerky.com, they've got incredible flavors there. But if you put in the coupon code MUAP, you will get 20% off your order. I highly recommend you check them out. Master Beef Jerky, Bold Flavor, Tender Bite, and a great, great sponsor of the podcast. Until next time, thanks so much for being here, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>